Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Real-Time Enterprise channel on Vantic TV, our video and podcast series of interviews with thought leaders and practitioners in digital transformation and the real-time enterprise. My name is Blaine Matthew, and I'm Chief Marketing and Product Officer at Vantic. Note that you can reach either myself or the guest by sending a note to realtime at vantic.com, and we will be more than happy to follow up. Joining me today is Tom Sweet, a Vice President in IT Solutions at GM Financial. Tom is a global tech executive that has a real passion for solving business problems through the proper use of technology. Prior to GM Financial, he was Director of Global Quality Assurance at MapTech and also had a successful stint at Microsoft. Thanks for the time, Tom. We're going to have some fun today. Great. Thank you. All right. Now, to be clear with our listeners, I understand that the views and opinions represented today are your own and do not represent the views and opinions of your employer, GM Financial. Is that right? Yes. (laughs) All right. Just had to get that out of the way. So having said all that, tell us about your role at GM Financial. What do you do there? So GM Financial is the captive lending arm of General Motors. I, I lead up a QA team that consists of software developers and QA analysts and we ensure the quality of our lending solutions and our internal IT solutions. Hmm. Interesting. And how long have you been at GM Financial for those that haven't had to look at your profile yet? Sure. I've been there since May of 2016 and I moved from Colorado for the job. So I I moved to Texas for it. Excellent. So how do you get the role leading QA and software analysts at GM Financial? What's your backstory? Well, I've done this for 20 years. I, I graduated college with a degree in civil engineering and I worked for the Massachusetts Highway Department for four years and I wanted to do something different and I talked to my, my boss and his brother had had the job I had had years earlier and now was part owner in a consulting company so I went to interview with him and the first question was what do I have to offer and I told him I had four years experience and he said stop right there you have one year experience four times <laughs> so I mean that was uh, an interesting uh, start of a job interview that kind of set me back a bit but yep. but he had a good point is i hadn't grown in my role and though i had had the job for four years i hadn't really advanced four years worth of advancement so that's something that i've i've thought about off and on over the years so, so i stayed in engineering until 97 and i had an opportunity to go to nec computer systems division and back then windows 95 came out it was uh windows nt4 so i was had my first job in IT, playing with computers, installing software, making sure the, the laptops work great. And uh, it was one of the best jobs I ever had. Mm. And, and I worked my way through different jobs as a contractor, went to work in a startup where I wear mini hats. And, and one of the opportunities at the startup that when they was hired was they told me I get to work two days a week from home, which was true. So I worked five days a week in the office, two from home. And <laughs> did that for about three and a half years. And, and uh, it kind of burned out. Family and I, we, and our son, we moved to Colorado with, with no job and we stayed with uh, relatives and, and I found employment there. Eventually worked my way into Microsoft as an SDET2, which is Software Development Engineering Test. So it was a really a technical QA role. And I, I worked there and, and, and it, was, uh, it was business solutions, it was office, it was SQL. And then 
I had seen what I thought was Microsoft getting ready to close the office down because I had come across that three other times in my career. And it, it was true. So I, I wound up going over to MapTech, which was software for mineral mining. Hmm. And they needed someone to lead up a, a QA team. And because I had an engineering background and I had all uh, the QA experience, I was selected to run that. So I did that for six years. That was really great. I, I got to travel the world. I had a team that worked for me in Australia, one in South America. And, and then worked my way over to Travelport for a short stint and then found myself at GM Financial. So it's been a, a long career. It's been fun. And is your role at GM Financial now the way you started there? Or did that yeah, evolve? Yeah, it's the same role. It's the same role as when I started. And, cool. Uh, Excellent. Well, I, I love you gave me a couple of great lines I'm going to be using from now on. Uh, five, two, working from home two days, yeah, five days in the office, two at home. Yeah. I, I love that one. And the one year of experience four times over. Yeah. So to, to, to segue off of that one, I think in yeah. particular, that, that sort of brings me to the mind of a discussion about continuous learning and sure. team transformation. And I know you and I obviously talked prior to the, the interview today, and I know this is really the heart of what you're, you're working to drive at GM Financial. And, and the reason that struck home for me so much is, you know, so many of the discussions that I have with CIOs and technical leaders, it starts out talking about, you know, transformations as and digital transformations as being about technology and it always ends up being about people about culture about you know about the soft stuff right that's fundamentally how you get to where you want to go so talk talk about the team transformation that you've been working to bring at gm financial i think that's a really great topic and very relevant sure. A lot of my team, about 80 of them are, are manual testers of some capacity. So they have a title of quality assurance analyst and there's different grades of that role. And as you probably know, manual testing is going away in industry. The, the, the concept of a person who does manual testing in a waterfall model, you know, that's been replaced by automated testing years ago. It's, it's moving to DevOps and continuous delivery and, you know, companies need to go faster. And as part of that, you know, we get the staff that allows us to go faster and has this skill set. Now we've had really great employees who've, you know, committed a lot to working at the company and they're, they're quite valued. And what I'm trying to do is, is reinvest in them, help them reinvent and reimagine a different role. And that requires them coming up to speed on a lot of different skills. So when you look at the background of the team, some of them come from manual test roles outside and from different organizations and been hired into General Motors Financial. Others were employees in the call center or, or different business groups and showed aptitude and interest in testing. And so they came into the quality assurance organization. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to do is get them all up to a, a skill set, which makes it more important for them to, to have the skill set. And it's great for the company. And so what kind of what kind of role are they being transitioned to? So if manual testing and software testing obviously is what we're talking about, just so everyone's crystal clear, sure. if manual testing is going going away and re and being uh, replaced by automated testing, uh, what kind of roles are they being? Sure. So we're we're moving them into what I'm calling a software development engineer, and as part of that, they're going to learn a programming language such as Java or C sharp. Most of them will be Java, and then we're making sure they have database skills, networking skills, uh, advanced computer knowledge, web services, security, uh, source control, and and another and also all the testing tools. And right, it's a eventually they'll be cross functional. 
right? So right now they're focused mostly on, on quality assurance, but, but long-term, you know, what I would like to see is them be considered cross-functional. So if the development team uh, has a, a, a skill set deficit or they have people out of the office, they can take one of my team members and swap them out and, and my team can provide value in multiple areas like a, as a full stack engineer. That's really interesting. So I think in the sort of default assumption in most people's mindsets is if you're going to hire, you know, software developers, they must have computer science or computer engineering degrees. In this case, I'm assuming these folks mostly don't. Yeah, they mostly don't. Now I do hire computer science degrees, right? A lot of my, my existing software developers have that, but there also is that opportunity for those who wish to transform to, you know, learn a lot of those skills. Now they may not learn all the data structures that a computer science uh, graduate would have, but we're teaching them a great skill set where they can continue to learn and grow over the years. But in order to, mm. to be promoted into this, in, into this role, we have a, a base criteria that must be met. And it's an objective criteria. You know, sometimes when you look at different companies, the promotion between layer one and layer level one and level two, they're, they're kind of vague, right? Mm. Uh, we have a very defined objective promotion and you know, when people do get promoted, it's clear they have those skills and mm. that makes it, it very democratic. Is the criteria based on, on some kind of test where they're actually given a, a task and, no. and have to do it or describe what the criteria would be? Sure. So the criteria is, you know, they have to have these demonstrate these skills on the job. Now they can get certifications such that they can get an Oracle certification for job or they get a Microsoft C Sharp certification, but they can also you know, demonstrate that by on a job experience and, and using those skills in their job. And then what I'll do is I'll interview them and I'll, I'll go through their, what I consider the fundamentals of this checklist and, and just ensure that they have it. Hmm, really, really interesting. What what percentage of the, of the folks that were doing these these testing jobs before and now where you're trying to move into other this other role more technical? Well, I have 80 and okay. I've, I've promoted two so far. So hmm. we're, we're still in the process, right? It's a, it's a long 18 month program. So what we're not going to do is promote people prematurely. It'll devalue the program. So yep. we'll probably have a couple this year and then next year the, the wave will start coming through hmm. it as, as more people... Uh, catch up. I mean, some were already well down this path when I hired them. Right, so, uh, right, right. It's easier for them to reach that. Do you have any sense of what uh, percent of the group just is not interested in, in this path? I'm sure it can't be everyone that wants to go down this path. So sure. I mean, maybe 20%, right? And, and you know, no one's going to lose a job because of this, right? There will probably still be, you know, manual testing activities will always be done. Yeah. But we really want to try to everyone's invited to partake in this. And I want to be clear about that. You know, some people may choose that it's not for them. And, and sometimes there could be different roles within the company that they might move to, but everyone on the team is invited to participate in this. So that's, mm. that's what's important. That's, that's amazing. That, that's uh, just an amazing program. So, so I'm, I assume as part of this, it's not just the sort of one-time program or opportunity you're, you're bringing forward to this team, but you're also trying to instill a culture of continuous learning, you know, beyond even once they become Java developers and, and whatever, then sure. it's about how do you keep them always learning? And of course, anybody involved in technology these days has to be doing that or, or they're going to be outdated very soon. So how do, you, how do you try to build a culture of continuous learning? So, so one way is, is I'm out there leading myself. So I'm out there getting Amazon certified 
and getting security mm. certs and um, letting my team know that I'm doing that. I'm part of that journey with them. It, it's a, a lot of people have families. I have a family. I have yard work to do. I have to, you know, sometimes do work at night for the office, right? Because we're busy and, or I have to catch up and make sure my deliverables are being met. But I always make time to do this work to continue investing in myself. And I want to make sure the team knows that I'm doing that too. It's not just, you don't reach a level like I'm at and then stop, right? It's actually probably harder for me because I have more responsibility and I have to know more areas. But we, we, we share the accomplishments among the whole team. So we have a, a document that shows different certifications. So when people get certified, whether it be in a, a Splunk certification or an Amazon cert or a Microsoft cert, we'll send it out to the whole team and, and there's a lot of encouragement. And then once people reach that software development engineer one level, you know, then we start training them a lot in cloud. We try to, you know, make sure we're going to have, you know, uh, you know, Docker, Kubernetes, uh, Amazon, and Azure. So those are part of our, our mm. continued learning path. And the other thing is the offices that report to me have to get certified in Amazon. So making sure that everyone's part of this, this journey. Hmm. And, yeah. it, it still strikes me as a little bit amazing, that be, again, because culture and the, these kind of transformations are the hardest, right? Getting people to change. And uh -huh. you're trying to drive a pretty significant change from one, one job type and one skill set to another and then instill a, an ongoing culture of continuous <laughs> learning. Is there, what's the secret? Like there must well, be something you're doing, you know? It's kind of also balancing what's possible versus, you know, maybe a little bit of, you know, here's what's going on in industries. You know, this company here, will, you know, let their staff go or this other company there having to train their replacements and, and letting the team know, I never want that to happen at our company, right? If we're in charge of our own success and if we're continuing to deliver value and we're leading and improving, no one's ever going to come to us and say, hmm, this team's really not, we could probably do better elsewhere. So it's yeah. letting the team know that A, you know, if they're gonna have a skill set that allows them to go anywhere in the country. So if, if all of a sudden they have a, a family member in, in Florida and they have to leave the company to go help that sick family member, they could get employment elsewhere because they have a current skill set. And the second is, you know, making sure that we're in a good position. Hmm. That's that's really incredible. GM Financial must be a great company to work for to allow this kind of program to happen. You know, yeah. do you think it, do you think it for this to be successful? Does it need to be embraced? Uh, you know, at the top. Or well, I have support of our my SVP and the CIO, so I do have support there, which is really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I can only imagine. So, how about uh, how how is this received by the other organizations? For example, the existing software developers, who who you know took joined the company as software development engineers, and now they're seeing this new group being cross-trained over. What's the attitude in the company about this? I think it, it actually is surprisingly good, right? Because I've worked at other places in the past where there has been maybe a contention between dev and QA, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. there's conflict. Here it's gone really well. And, and, um, and I think part of that is, is the development team and their leadership has an opportunity to contribute to this checklist that we have. So we have that checklist of all the different skills and, and they had opportunities to review it before we approved it, to add to it. You know, actually we pulled some things out of it that maybe were a little bit too aggressive for the first layer level. And, mm. and so they're on board with it and, and they see the need for quality and, and they see, you know, as we move towards, you know, continuous integration, continuous delivery in DevOps, they see that the skill set is, is needed. And they also, you know, will like the idea that the, the, Q, the QA team will go faster because of the automation that we have.
Yeah. And it also helps the development team because if there is a, a break in production, you know, better quality and better testing will help mitigate those and prevent those from happening. Mm-hmm. So it's well, been makes, actually good. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I, I know in a, an analogy, not in a related, uh, related domain, but I find the best salespeople are people who've been marketers before they become salespeople and they understand how it's done, sort of how the sausage is made. And then when they go out to become a salesperson, they can empathize with with the role. And I can only imagine that's true here. You know, some of the best developers would have to be people who were previously in QA, who had to put up with finding and triaging and, you know, all the bugs and issues. And now they're there writing the software. It must give them a great, uh, you know, gut feel or a sense for what, what, what it is they're doing and why they're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's interesting. So uh, turning the topic a little bit more widely to, uh, to how we transform organizations, you know, overall and drive, you know, digital or non-digital transformations, or well, actually let's focus on the digital transformation, right? Sure. So often we talk about how, uh, you know, who, who should be driving it in the organization? Should it be, you know, IT, the technical folks, or should it be the operations side, the so-called business side? Who do you think should own digital transformation in a company, uh-huh. business or IT? Yeah, that, that's interesting because I, I really don't like the term the business, right? This is, I, you know, I think IT needs to be an order shaper, not an order taker. And, and I'm not the, I don't know where I heard that. I've heard that maybe at Society of Information Management. I've heard it at conferences. I've spoken it myself. And so I think it needs to really be a partnership because I think IT needs to be out there leading and providing solutions, right? A lot of times what happens is, you know, if IT doesn't really take that lead, you know, the, the business partners will then look towards vendors, towards shadow IT, as opposed to really understanding, you know, why the IT department isn't providing, right? So I think IT needs to always step out there and, and be a leader. So I think it should come from IT, though I think it needs to be a partnership. Do you, to what extent do you think it is coming from IT? So I think a lot of people would agree that it should come. But, and I don't mean GM financial specifically, but I mean more broadly. I think it's not. And the reason is I've, you know, the, the creation of the chief innovation officer role, the creation of the chief digital officer role is, is partly a response to IT, you know, internal IT organizations as a whole, not, not delivering and not understanding. And, and I think that, you know, the, the resistance to agile or, or, you know, the reliance on, on older processes is such that, 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 that that's maybe holding companies back. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah. Well, when I talk to, you know, I often talk to the operation side of businesses and also to the CIOs and, and IT side, so-called, you know, IT side, the non-business side. And I know from the operation side, they're very skeptical that IT is doing anything other than cloud migration or implementing SAP, you know, V7 or, or doing another security update, which is of course really important, but that, but that doesn't leave much time in the IT, uh, you know, in the IT timeline for doing projects that are actually affecting the lines of business. And I hear that over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, I think that a lot of times, you know, IT leaders have to be in the industry you know, as far as, as 
spending time at conferences. They need to go to meetup groups. They need to work with not only their peers from other companies, but, but one thing that's really not done as much as it should be is, is having these senior IT leaders go to individual contributor meetups and start talking to the people that they want to hire and go to the Python users group, go to the Java user group, and just start talking and, and finding out what their ideas are. Because I think that's often missed. Hmm. You know, just hearing you say that brings to mind another idea that's sort of similar to that. I do, I go and speak at a lot of events throughout the year and uh, in, including, you might call them IT oriented events, CIO groups, those kind of things. And then I go to speak at, at domain specific events like field service events, menu, smart manufacturing events, smart cities events. Sure. And, and it's like these groups are not mixing together at the same event. You got the, the business oriented events relating to the domains like manufacturing and field service. And then you've got the, the IT oriented events. They should go to the same events, I think, more often and, and be at this literally on the panels at the same time hearing each other. What an, what an idea that would be. Well, that's funny because when you go to a lot of these you know, IT events, it's mostly you know, half the people there applying for the same open CIO job. Right. And, you know, and they're not knowing that the other people, you know, they're applying for the same thing. But I, I recently joined an organization that that's kind of cross-functional. So it has CEOs, CMOs, it has chief financial officers, people in IT. And it, the whole point is to how to kind of get that difference of opinion. And, and that's yep. what I'm trying to do to kind of make sure that I'm, I'm not, you know, only hearing one side of the story. Yeah. I think that's a great, a great idea. So let's, uh, let's, Get ready to wrap it up here. Any technology or business predictions for 2019, or maybe you know where the two cross? What what do you see happening in 2019? That's interesting. In 2019, I, I still see you know public cloud getting stronger. I think as there'll be less and less resistance to public cloud as as more features are are added. A lot of companies are still adverse to it. They have you know personnel that are kind of still like the data center, but I, I think it's it's going to be you know, when I look at Amazon and I see what's possible, I, I think more and more companies are finally going to, you know, start breaking away from, you know, we have to avoid public cloud at all costs to, hey, you know, maybe we got to start looking at this. And uh, I, can, I see continued adoption of, of Agile, which I know isn't new, but in a lot of, uh, you know, heritage companies or legacy companies, they're still, you know, resistant to it. And I, I, I see more, more adoption of Agile. Yeah. I, I think so. And interesting, another interesting term, heritage companies. I'm going to, I'm going to use that one next time I'm, I'm on a panel. I, I like that. I like that. Yeah, concept. So. so that's a good way to put it. So let's wrap up with what are some key takeaways or tips for a business leader that's trying to drive some kind of transformation in, in her business? I think you know, he or she has to, you know, make a personal transformation and, and, have so you know one has that empathy to what the employees are gonna have to go through. It's easy to say we're gonna reskill people or we're gonna replace them if they don't learn or we're gonna just you know we can get cheaper labor somewhere else. But but what is that leader doing him or herself right? You know, is that investment there? And I think the personal investment is important. I mean I was contacted 
last week and his company was looking for a CIO and they wanted a CIO who could drive it. It wasn't a CIO who knew how to hire the people to drive it. They wanted a CIO who had that experience, who could lead the whole company because they had a staff. They didn't want to change the staff. That staff needed help and they wanted someone who had that skill set. But if you're not up on technology, you're not investing in yourself, you're not growing, it's harder to have that that rapport with the team that you can do that and come in. That's, that's great, Tom. And I think what you said earlier about, you know, being a model for driving this continuous change, this cross training and upscaling, and you're not just, you know, telling them to do it or incur even encouraging them to do it, but you're continuously doing it yourself. That's, that's a very powerful model. No doubt about it. And I think that wraps it up. So Tom, thanks so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed the conversation. I enjoyed it. Thanks. And those interested in hearing more of Tom's thoughts should definitely check out his Sweet Talk video series on LinkedIn and also follow him at Thomas J. Sweet on Twitter. And of course, you can reach out to me anytime at realtimeadvantic.com. Thank you. If you would like to subscribe to the podcast version of The Real-Time Enterprise, search for The Real-Time Enterprise on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you are already listening to the podcast version of The Real-Time Enterprise, Please leave a rating or comment and let us know how you are enjoying the show.